Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So, Lord, it's very plain now, even from the reading, that if this text is going to happen here, it will be by the Spirit and not by the letter. It will not be mere external expressions of words either carved in stone or spoken by a preacher. It will be the new covenant fulfillment of the Holy Spirit taking out hearts of stone, putting in hearts of flesh, writing the law on those new, soft, teachable hearts, and mightily and sovereignly causing us to walk in your statutes or nothing will happen. Therefore, I ask you, according to the promise of Luke 11, to come, Holy Spirit. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Lord, may there be a hunger in this room right now for the Spirit through the Word. Where it isn't, cause it to be. Let not your Word go forth in vain, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The main point that I want to draw out of these verses this morning, and I will come back to them again next week, is everybody in this room can be a Jew, will be a Jew, if you keep the requirements of the law. Let's read verse 26. Again, so if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? That is, if a Gentile keeps the law, he will be regarded by God as a Jew. 
That's the main point of this morning's message. Now, if I were in your place, I would ask three questions of that main point. And I'm going to state the questions and then build my message around the answers to those three questions. Question number one. What does this verse 26 or this thesis statement that you've just made about everybody becoming Jews here through keeping the requirements of the law, what does that have to do with the main point of the chapter, which is about the sinfulness of Jews and their need for the gospel? Isn't the point of the whole unit from 118 to 39 Gentiles are sinners and need the gospel. And now in chapter 2, Jews are sinners and need the gospel. We all need the gospel because we're all sinners. So why in this chapter devoted to Jews and their need for the gospel, does he begin to talk about Gentiles becoming Jews? What's the point? It doesn't seem to fit. Question one. Question number two. Let me get you right, Pastor John. You said that a Gentile becomes a Jew if he keeps the requirements of the law. Is that what you said? That's what I said. How does that fit with chapter 3, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 28... We know that people are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Question two. Question three. Who cares about becoming a Jew? Why would anybody want to become a Jew? How many people wake up in the morning saying, I want to be a Jew today? Is this on anybody's screen? Don't you know preachers preach to felt needs? <laughs> Nobody walked into this room, stupid, longing to be a Jew. You make the main point something nobody's interested in, they're not going to listen. That's homiletics 101. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Are you listening? You ought to want to become a Jew. Of course you don't want to become a Jew. You haven't been taught the Bible, some of you. Of course you don't want to become a Jew. How many, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but just answer the question, got up this morning and part of your framework before the living God was, make me a Jew. Oh, to be a true Jew. Probably very few got up feeling that this morning. And you didn't walk in here with that need on the front burner of your life. You know what? I don't preach to felt needs. I preach to Bible-revealed real needs. And if I can, if I can, I will make you feel it. <laughs> but if I can't, I fail. And that's why we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. You ought to want to be a Jew. 
whether you feel like being a Jew right now or not, you ought to want to be. Salvation is from the Jews. No Gentile is saved who doesn't become a Jew. That's big. Okay, that's question number three. So what? It's a so what question. Those are the questions I always ask in seminary. So what? End of the class, lecture's over. So what? I like those questions. And so I don't mind you being that way. Question number one. Let's go back and take them one at a time. How does verse 26 fit into the overall purpose? Verse 26 says, For indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. I'm sorry, that's verse 25. Let's get the connection between 25 and 26. Start over. Verse 25. Indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. Speaking to Jews now. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Now that we expect to hear in chapter 2. Because this chapter is designed to help Jewish people recognize their need. And the point of this verse is, watch out. Sure you're circumcised. Sure you keep the dietary laws. Sure you keep the feasts. You know all about the letter. You are kosher. But you know what? If having done all of that, you become a transgressor of the law... Your very Jewish distinctives are undone of any of their significance. That's verse 25. In other words, don't... This is just repetition from the last two Sundays, verses 17 to 24. Don't bank on the letter. Don't bank on external performances to get you right with God. That's not what the law was about at its essence. And last Sunday's sermon, bring it back... You who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? Don't you go to Romans 9, 32 and teach that it was not works, but faith that enabled you to fulfill the law. It's not about the letter. The letter should have directed you to the spirit and to faith and to mercy and to justice, the big things of the law. And you're hung up with tithing your mint and dill and cumin. Okay, we expect verse 25, but why verse 26? So, very important word, or therefore, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, if the Gentile keeps the law, which you have not kept, even though you're circumcised, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision and he becomes the Jew and you don't get to be a Jew, though you're a Jew. Now, what's the point of that verse here? How does that add to his point? Well, I think the logic goes like this. This therefore, can you explain that? How does the therefore work? I think it works like this. What you saw in verse 25 was, wow, you mean being right with God does not hang mainly on being circumcised, being an ethnic Jew, keeping the dietary laws, going up at the right pointed feasts, 
that's not it. If that's not it, and you can do all that and fall out of favor with God and cease to be a Jew, then maybe what is it is something a Gentile can do. That's the logic. In fact, it's not a maybe. It's not a maybe between verse 25 and 26. It's a deal. If God relates to his people another way beneath that letter stuff, down into the heart stuff, the faith stuff, the deep reliance on the spirit stuff, the enablement stuff of God inside, if that's what the law is really all about, then it follows, verse 26, the uncircumcised, that is the Gentiles, can become a Jew. That's the point. Now, why did he say it? How does it help him make his point about the Jews needing the gospel? And there are two answers to that at least. One is, how wrong must be their understanding of the law, they should infer. In other words, if we've taken the law and learned all 630 commandments or whatever, and we have given ourselves all our lives long, and our teachers, the Pharisees and Sadducees, have, and we've missed it, And the Gentiles who haven't known the law at all come along and they're getting it and becoming heirs of the promise, children of Abraham, through the Messiah. We really misunderstood it. That's the point of how it fits into chapter 2. The Jews need the gospel bad because in comparison to the Gentiles who are now getting it and becoming heirs and becoming Jews... How wrong must have been their understanding of the law. And the second way it works is that how needful they are of salvation because the Gentiles are the least likely candidates for salvation. I mean, Jews are high-level candidates. They're going to get the deal. Gentiles, they eat the wrong stuff. They're unclean. They don't keep any of the rules. They don't have a prayer. And they're getting saved in droves. And it's the Messiah Jesus who's accepting them. And they're inheriting the promises of Abraham. And the Jews should conclude, Wow, we really need something else. We really need the gospel. Give me back my Messiah. This is the way Paul argues in chapter 11. There's a jealousy factor here that's supposed to figure in, and it's going to work someday. It works here and there today, but it's going to work all over the world someday. Because when the full number of the Gentiles comes in, all Israel is going to be saved. And they're going to be saved by means of jealousy. We had the children in the first service, only a few children here, but I said to the children, have you ever had this experience where you've got a nice shiny toy that you love at Christmas, you play with it all day Christmas and all week after Christmas, and you don't touch it again for 30 days, and then a friend comes over, and you start going through the closet, and the friend finds that toy. Wow! And they start playing with it, and suddenly it becomes exciting again to you. That's my toy. 
And his enjoyment of your toy, which you've forgotten about, makes you want that toy. That's exactly the way Jews are going to get saved, according to Romans 11. We'll talk more about this next week. We come over to their house and walk into Judaism through faith in their Messiah, who's been neglected for these 2,000 years. And we start loving the Messiah. He's everything. What a Messiah Jesus is. And there's going to come an enlightening day when over Temple Israel or Temple Aaron, all over these cities, the lights are going to go on. May it be soon. May it be among your own relationships of Jews that you love and care about. The lights are going to go on and they're going to say, give me back my Jesus. And we'll say, you can have your Jesus. We can have your Jesus. You can have your Jesus. You can have all the promises. You can have the whole New Testament. And they're going to enter back in. The broken off branches are going to be grafted back in. And there will be one great olive tree sucking up the mysteries and the blessings and the promises from the rich root of Abraham and the covenant he made. But right now, the point is, they don't get it. That's the point of pointing out in verse 26 that the Gentiles are getting it. They're being saved. They're becoming Jews. And therefore, how wrong must be the understanding of Israel of their own law and how needy they must be of the gospel of grace. That's my answer to question number one. Now, question number two. You're saying, Pastor John, that you... Um, become a Jew if you keep the requirements of the law. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? I'm hearing you right? Yes. Let's just read it again. Let's read verse 26. If the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as Circumcision. Now, the answer to that question is yes. Yes, he will. If you keep the requirements of the law, will not your Gentile, uncircumcised condition be counted by God as Jewishness? So that you are now part of the people of the living God, elect among his own people. Is that a purely hypothetical sentence? Does that ever come true? Is that Christian experience? Yes, it is. And yes, it does. And I want to give two explanatory responses to the question. How does that fit together with justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Here's my first response. Let's just stay in the context first. Stay in these verses, and then we're going to go to Romans 8. So we'll take two steps, one close by and one six chapters away. The first response is to notice the flow of the thought from verses 26, 27, and then into 28. So notice first that verse 27 is basically a restatement, maybe taking it a little farther. It says that those who are physically uncircumcised, I'm on verse 27 now, will someday not be judged 
but judging. And then there's a condition. If you want to be in that position at the judgment day, not to be a judged one, but a judging one, in other words, standing on God's side of the bench, not the condemned side of the bench, it says, you'll be that if he keeps, or more literally, it's not the same word as verse 26, fulfills the law. That's an important word. I wish the NSB had gotten it right. Fulfills the law, because it's going to relate to chapter 13, chapter 8. This is an important link. Now, that's basically a restatement of verse 26. You want to be a Jew this morning? You want to be God's people? You want to be an heir of the promises of Abraham? You want to stand on the judging instead of the judge side of the bench at the last day? you got to fulfill the law. Now comes verses 28 and 29, beginning with for. Very important word. For or because, and he explains. He explains what he's saying. And so let's let these words explain for us what he means. For, he's not a Jew who's one outwardly. So I'm not talking about becoming that. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. So I'm not talking about Gentiles even getting circumcised. Paul's on the warpath against those who require Gentiles to get circumcised and become external Jews, Jews by the letter. Well, what, what do you mean, Paul? What do you mean when you say we can become a Jew then? And how? When you say you've got to keep the law. All right, verse 29 is the key verse in this passage, the absolute key verse. Verse 29. But, here's what I mean. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart. By the Spirit. Massive phrase. All determining phrase. Not by the letter Okay, let's think about verse 29 and then work our way back up to verse 26 so that you can see the flow here. Verse 29 is saying, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes Jews out of Gentiles. Not you. Now that has a massive effect on how you understand if you keep the requirements of the law. In verse 26, or if you fulfill the law, in verse 27, it is the Spirit who creates Jews out of Gentiles, who circumcises the heart and makes them into those who have the true circumcision. And the negative side of that is not the letter. It's not the letter. That means the mistake that the Jewish people had been making is in treating their law at the letter level. The, the dead, killing letter level that was landing on unspiritual hearts, no work from within, and taking it in the hands of the flesh to turn the law into a ladder by which you demonstrate your moral prowess so that God will accept you finally when you've lived enough life of obedience. If you live at the level of the letter, you die. 
2 Corinthians 3, 6. The letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. So the problem is not that what the letter was teaching in the law was false or bad or harmful or superficial. But that when the flesh alone meets the teaching of the law, it treats it as letter when it ought to see it as the expression of the fruit of the Spirit. So, let me read for you 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Did you hear the little phrase, new covenant? In verse 29, we have just walked into the whole arena of the new covenant. Now, the new covenant was purchased by the blood of Jesus, according to Luke 20, 22. This cup is the new covenant in or by my blood. What did the new covenant promise you that was purchased for you by Jesus? Let's let it be spoken by Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's verse 26 and 27. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now read verse 26. If the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, this is new covenant enablement here, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And the answer is yes. And verse 29 says, I'm talking about the spirit. I'm talking about the transforming, heart circumcising, enabling work of the spirit. I'm not talking about moral prowess here. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about human ability here. I'm not talking about you earning anything from God here about doing something on your part to enrich him on his part. I'm talking about God coming into you by the Spirit, taking out the heart of stone, putting in the heart of flesh, writing his law upon the heart, and causing you now by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep the requirements of the law. Which... simply means becoming a person who loves other people. Because Romans 13, 8 to 10 says, the whole law is fulfilled, verse 27, in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. That was my first response to the second question. How do you relate it to justification by faith, apart from works of the law? I answer, when the new covenant is fulfilled, Christ purchases for us the Holy Spirit. He comes in, he takes out the heart of stone, he puts in the heart of the flesh. 
The heart of flesh, he writes on it the law. And what the law says is, trust God's grace for the forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of all his promises to you, for a righteousness that is wholly adequate for you. And out of that trust, live a life that shows you trust him. There's no earning here. There's no meriting here going on between you and God. There is a life of fruit being born from a new covenant transformation of a heart that rests in God and is filled with the Holy Spirit who enables us. Now, you'll see it more clearly if you turn with me to Romans 8. This is my second response to the second question. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. Unbelievably important Two verses to get this, if you're wondering if this is so. Romans 8, 3 and 4. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Now note how the law was weak. It wasn't weak because it taught falsehood or was inadequate in itself. The law was weak through your and my flesh. When the flesh meets the law, it turns it into a letter, turns it into a ladder, and starts climbing. And thus destroys the law. The law was never meant to be a ladder by which we climb in our own striving to get to heaven. And that's what we make out of it when we hit it with our flesh. Something else has to be done here besides flesh meeting law. Because that's all you get is letter and death when that happens. Let's read on. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Now, what did he do? He did two things. Number one, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Stop. Get this now. It's the blood of the covenant that purchases everything else. This is a bloody verse. The Son was sacrificed and in His being slaughtered for us all. Our sins are washed away. Our wrath and guilt is executed by a substitute. And we are freed into the favor of a holy, almighty God who is now our Father and will work everything together in life for our good. Including the second thing that is in this text that God did. Verse 4. So that, in other words, on the basis of that finished, glorious work of forgiveness and redemption and atonement, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Key word, remember verse 27 of chapter 2. If you fulfill the law, you'll become a Jew. That the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. Because if you walk according to the flesh, you will not fulfill the law. You will turn the law into letter and climb it to heaven or you will reject the law and become a lecher. Legalism and lechery are the only two options. But if by the Spirit 
If you walk according to the Spirit, you will fulfill the just requirement of the law. Because the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Is what? I didn't want to tell you the answer. Tell me. The first fruit of the Holy Spirit is? Thank you. Galatians 5.22. And love fulfills the whole law. This is real. This is not hypothetical in verse 26 and verse 27. You will become a true Jew. You will be a, a part of the people of God. Inheriting the promises of Abraham. Having everlasting joy in front of you. If... Through the Spirit, by faith in Christ, you love others and thus fulfill the law. And if you don't love, John says in the first epistle, chapter 3, verse 14, you don't know God. That's my answer to question number two. Justification by faith alone is the foundation for receiving the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to meet the requirement of the law, which is love. Last question. Who cares about being a Jew? Why would anybody want to be a Jew? I didn't get up this morning thinking, oh, to be a Jew today. Now, that's next Sunday's text, sort of. This this last one, I'm really done now. I'm finished. But I will just kind of summarize next Sunday's sermon. I'm going to give you two reasons why you should care about this text. So give me two more minutes. Maybe three. (laughs) Since the fall, human beings are like people who've been through a horrific accident and have lost their memory and are ruled by amnesia and don't know who we are. Human beings do not know who they are. And so they they try to study out the history of how animals maybe evolve. Maybe that'll be a, a clue to who we are. If we could just figure out evolution, then we'd know because we're, we're at the end of it here and, or maybe in the middle of it if you give another five billion years, maybe there'll be something else out there that'll be better than we are. And we're just chemicals banging around and reached a certain level of energy and material and that's who we are. Maybe or we'll look at our psyche and try to think through psychological processes and maybe maybe psychology can tell us who we are. We don't have a clue who we are. Nor will we ever know who we are unless one thing happens. God tells us who we are. The maker knows what he made. Nobody else. Nobody else. If you don't listen to what God tells you about who you are, you'll never know who you are. You'll keep looking, you'll keep experimenting, and you'll go to your grave with a huge question mark. Was that the way I should have lived, given who I am? 
This text, among many, many texts, is one text where our loving God tells us who we are. We are Jews. We are children of Abraham. We are heirs according to the promise. We are in the Messiah. We have God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who did all the mighty works of the Old Testament as our Father. That's who we are. And if you come to this text and say, I have texts that I like that give me my self-identification. Thank you. I don't want to think about that Jewish stuff. You are saying to your God in heaven, I don't really want to learn from you about who I am. And I just plead with you, don't be that way. Don't ever say to God, I don't don't really care what you say about who I am. I'm comfortable with who I am. Listen and let God tell you who you are. It might open possibilities for you. You never dreamed. That's my first response to why we should listen to this text. And my last one is real obvious and it follows from everything I've said. If you are a Jew then you are an heir to all the promises of the Bible. All of them. Have you ever, as a Gentile, come to the big, thick, 39-book Old Testament and wondered, is this my book? I belong here? Can I learn anything here? These promises for me in Psalms, written to Jews, they promises for me. And the news this morning is, it's your book. They're your promises. He's your Messiah, and God is your God. I will be your God, and I will walk among you, and you will be my people, and I will be a God to you as yours. And we'll unpack that as much as I can next Sunday. Let's pray. Oh God, I want to be a Jew. I want to have a heart circumcision. To be a Jew inwardly and not outwardly according to the letter, but inwardly according to the Spirit. And I pray now for all my listeners, some of them saved and some of them not, scratching their heads at this foreign language they've been listening to. I plead for them right now that the Spirit would come and the lights would go on and the heart would open and the law would begin to be written within and not just without in a sermon, but on the heart. And as they leave and go home, they would find themselves from the inside out exploding with recognition of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ who loved them and gave himself so that they might believe and be saved. Lord, make Jews out of us, I pray, and fill us with the joy of knowing the Messiah and being heirs of the promises that are all yes and amen in him. Why don't you stand for a benediction? I'll be here at the front. Others will be. We'd love to pray with any of you who have any anything you'd like to pray about. 
But may the Lord in this room now, as we go, make Jews of all of us. By the coming and the empowering and the transforming and the circumcising work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So that we might walk by the Spirit and so fulfill the just requirements of the law. That is, love each other and love our enemies tomorrow morning at work. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.